Thanks be to God. You can sit if you'd like, or I mean, I don't care. If you want to stand, you can stand the rest of the time. Good to, good to see you all. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Um, years ago, when our eight-year-old daughter was a mere three years old, going on four, but still just three, a precocious little lady, I might add, we visited a, another local congregation on Good Friday for a Stations of the Cross service. And on our way out of the church, when the priest greeted us, the first thing our daughter said in reply was, I've been to this church before, but I went into a class and played because I didn't want to worship. <laughs> I didn't want to worship. The honesty of children is really quite remarkable. Defenses down, not at all concerned with image management or the perceptions of others. In, in some ways, it really is a beautiful part of childhood, because while I never would have said that to the priest in that moment, I get it. I, too, have been there. Maybe you are sensing that even now as you have joined for worship. I think we've all been in that place. I just don't feel like worshiping. Or maybe it's not an ambivalence about the activity itself, but a doubt about whether it means anything. What am I even doing? Am I just going through these motions for no reason at all? I, I want to propose today that even in those moments when we don't feel it, what happens here when we gather with the body to worship is actually critical for our spiritual health. James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, wrote this, Christian worship is our enculturation as citizens of heaven, subjects of kingdom come. Whether we feel like participating or not, and at times we won't, whether we are consciously aware of the ways in which we are being formed or not, and many times we won't. I mean, how could we be consciously aware of everything that is happening in us as we worship? Still, worship is shaping us. Nurturing our souls, renewing our minds, sharpening our wills, reinvigorating our commitment. So I want to talk today a little bit about worship. And to begin that, I think we actually need to acknowledge that that doesn't just happen in this room. Of course, there are moments of worship throughout life. In, in many ways, all of life can be worship. And even if we were to limit the conversation to what takes place in a corporate worship gathering, like the one we are participating in now, even if we limit the conversation to that, still, worship is not only a 20-minute segment where we lift our voices together and sing. It certainly includes that. I think that's a critical part of what we do when we gather. But really, the whole gathering is worship. We worship as we respond to God's invitation to reflect on his holiness and goodness. We worship when we pray and confess our sin. We worship as we fellowship with one another. We, we worship when we respond to Christ's invitation to meet him at this table. We worship when we are even sent out of this place to shine the light that Christ shines in us, what we talked about two weeks ago. Everything we do as a church is centered around worship, a desire to meet, to actually meet 
with the living God. For two months now, we have been reviewing our purpose statement as a church. Um, and, and it's this, as a community, following Jesus, we seek to participate in the restorative work of God. And we do that then in four distinct ways. Today, we're going to consider the final uh, in that list of four, which is encountering the sacred. We seek to participate in God's work of restoration, and one way we seek to do that is through encountering the sacred. The statement then goes on like this, celebrating the richness of 2,000 plus years of Christian tradition. So there's an acknowledgement here that we're not just making this up as we go along. We have inherited the faith that we are a a part of. It has been handed down to us by followers of Jesus who have gone before us. So celebrating the richness of 2,000 plus years of Christian tradition, we incorporate the forms of ancient Christianity into our worship that have enabled people to experience God's mystery and encounter his presence throughout history. We also are looking to God's creative direction for the future as we include forms of worship that assist people in experiencing God's transforming presence today. We long, as individuals, as a community gathered together, we long to encounter Jesus. We want to experience the transforming presence of God today. And what is more, maybe more important, is I believe God desires that as well. That God is always the one initiating encounters with us. It's, it's not like a celebrity sighting, maybe in an airport, um, where, where you see somebody you recognize from a film, and you might have that impulse to go engage, and what else are you going to say other than, I know you, I know who you are. There's, there's no meaningful conversation you can have, and maybe you snap a selfie and rightly sense that they are annoyed. That's not what an encounter with our God is like, in, in my view. In fact, one thing I think we discover throughout the story told in our scriptures of God's self-revelation to humanity is that we worship a God who knows us and wants to be known by us. We worship a God who repeatedly initiates encounters with humanity, a God who meets with his people. We see this early in the story, Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram, sets him apart, begins to reveal himself to him slowly, but surely this is who I am. This is what I am like. Follow me, and through you, through your family, I am eventually going to call all people to myself, call all people into that place of encounter. We see it later with Moses, meeting with God atop Mount Sinai after Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. God initiates an encounter and then instructs Moses on creating space for God to meet with the rest of the people. Eventually, this culminates in, in the tabernacle, this mobile dwelling place that moves along as they wander, a place in which they can meet with God. In his book, Transforming Worship, Rory Noland argues that stories like this, 
Moses meeting with God atop Mount Sinai and receiving instructions on creating space for the people to meet with God. Stories like that carry deep significance for our worship gatherings even today. He said this, on Sundays, it's today, we're not simply attending a church service. We're going by divine invitation to meet with God and his people. He goes on, gathered worship is more than a teaching time, more than a Christian sing-along. It is a divine invitation to encounter and experience God. A God who initiates encounters with his people. Of course, most notably, we, we find this to be true in the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as we considered a couple of weeks ago, that paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. There's almost uh, an up-close, personal grittiness to that image. Moved into the neighborhood. Maybe it carries even greater significance, more weight, if we think of an urban neighborhood where people are quite literally stacked on top of one another. And it's into that messy density that God comes. Now, as, as we think about the incarnation, of course, that kind of physical proximity, Jesus walking this earth, that made an encounter with God much easier, seemingly more accessible. But things are different, right? Things have, have changed since the ascension. We, we haven't had that same sort of access. So how do we encounter God now? Now that Jesus is no longer walking the earth with us. So we've established since the days of Abram, Moses, the disciples after the resurrection, which we'll consider in a moment, God initiates encounters with his creation. I believe that is still true today. God initiates encounters. I think one of the questions we need to consider is can we position ourselves in such a way to have our eyes opened to the presence of God, have our hearts softened enough to enter into that encounter that is waiting for us that God has initiated. That is one of the things we seek to do week after week as God gathers us for worship. And there's one particular, there are many practices we engage in that aid in this process, but there's one practice in particular that we engage in week after week that is, I think, especially important in that process and has been important for followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. And that is this table that we will gather at in just a few moments. I actually love the way Austin articulated it last week as he shared some of the gifts he has received over the years in participation in the life of the church. He said this, in weekly communion, I discovered Jesus where he promised we could find him as often as we eat and drink. Amen. We encounter Jesus at this table. Now, of course, we know theologically Physical body presence, bodily presence is no longer the cornerstone of an encounter with God. As Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
or earlier in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, where two or three are gathered. I am there in your midst. Of course, we encounter Jesus in all sorts of places. We encounter Jesus in the least of these, those who are naked, hungry, imprisoned. Thinking back to that text we looked at a couple of months ago, we encounter Jesus who works in and through our relationships. We even encounter Jesus in something as simple as the expression of gratitude, which then opens our eyes to God's presence in the seemingly ordinary places that we often miss God's presence. I like how singer-songwriter Andy Squires put it. He said, in contentment, God is easy to find. The expression of gratitude opens our minds to the presence of God in the ordinary. We encounter Jesus in a multitude of ways, encounters that are in no way, shape, or form limited to a church worship service. God cannot be boxed in in that way. In fact, we'll continue considering that idea in more detail next week. We, we cannot limit encounters with Jesus to a worship service. In fact, I, I like the shift in perspective Pastor Rich Velotis offered. He said, in worship, we are not brought into God's presence. Rather, we are brought into greater awareness of God's presence. God's presence hasn't disappeared, hasn't left us. God is always present and working, but often our eyes remain closed to that reality. So we encounter Jesus not only in church. However, we do encounter Jesus here. This is one of the routines we enter into so that our eyes might be open to that reality. In worship, we are week after week habituating ourselves to the presence of God, learning how to recognize his presence. And one reliable way of meeting with Jesus, one reliable way of having our eyes opened again and again to that presence is this meal that he invites us to share at his table. I wonder if one of the things we learn in the Emmaus story, as Jesus walks with Cleopas and his friend from Jerusalem to Emmaus after the resurrection, and they, they don't recognize him, but when they sit down to eat together, Jesus takes the bread, we're told he blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. In that moment, we are told, their eyes are opened to his identity and his presence among them. He had been with them. I mean, he was walking for some seven miles with them from Jerusalem to Emmaus, expounding on the scriptures with them. He was very much present. But their eyes are opened to that reality as he breaks bread and shares it with them. Many theologians see Luke connecting this story to the sacrament of communion, this opportunity for the church week after week to have our eyes opened, like the disciples, to the presence of Christ among us. I think this meal is, is more than just a memorial. 
It is a memorial, Jesus himself said. Uh, We do this to remember his death and resurrection. In this meal, it is igniting our memory, but it seems like the meal is also providing for us an opportunity to be made aware of the presence of Christ with us as we respond to his invitation to encounter him. I want to consider for a moment the story in John 6. I understand this story is not explicitly about the Eucharist. I mean, the Lord's Supper hadn't even been instituted at this point in the story, but perhaps it is a foreshadowing. In fact, one theologian put it this way. He said, if John 6 is not about the Eucharist, the Eucharist is undoubtedly about John 6. There is a connection here between what we're reading and this meal we share in. This is a section where Jesus is reminding his followers of their history, their story as a people, and and the fact that their ancestors received manna miraculously during their wilderness wanderings as a gift from God for their nourishment. He says that meal that they received in faith day after day nourished their bodies, but eventually all of your ancestors died. It nourished them in the moment, but not forever. He goes on to say this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. Whoever believes in me will not be thirsty. Of course, this metaphor is pointing to faith in the one who takes away the sins of the world, but I wonder if the subtext, the the reverberations of the Lord's Supper in this image, to me at least, as I read it, seem unmistakable. In verse 51, Jesus goes on, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then it goes on in verse 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. If you're thinking, wow, that is... A doozy. You are not alone. I I mean, I, I know this might offend our modern sensibilities, but it's not just our modern sensibilities that are offended by this. Those who hear him say this are understandably horrified at what he says. It is a difficult saying to hear. But we accept by faith that, that Christ is the bread of life, the, the source of eternal nourishment for us. The, he is providing to us true nourishment that will last. And as we feast around this table week after week, we are reminded of that fact. And we trust, I can't explain it, but I trust that week after week in this meal, my faith is being nourished. My spirit, my soul are being upheld for the journey that lies ahead. Because Christ is with us. At this table, I believe God is at work 
in a mysterious way, drawing all to himself, nourishing us in this meal. So we have a meal through which we regularly enact this. We look back on the cross of Christ. We reflect on his death. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, and he's quoting the words of Jesus just before his crucifixion as he's sharing a meal with his disciples and institutes this supper for the church. We take the bread and the cup and and we do so in remembrance of him. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But we also look ahead to a time where our souls will be finally and completely nourished in Jesus alone. And in faith, week after week, as we take the cup, as we take the bread, we receive a foretaste of this eternal nourishment, this eternal encounter, being in the presence of Jesus. In the chapter before, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul insists the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In the bread and the cup, there is a participation in the body and blood of Jesus. That participation language to me, as I read it, seems to convey that there is some sense of actual communion, an actual encounter that is taking place as we gather to partake in this meal. Now, I'm not talking about the literal physical body and blood of Jesus in these elements, But I do believe Jesus is really present with us. He's always present. But in this meal, there's something unique that happens that opens our eyes to this reality, that habituates us to that presence. Jesus meeting with us, nourishing us. So we routinely receive this meal. And I I don't know about you, I won't speak for you, but in my experience, we meet for this meal not always sensing or feeling that anything is being accomplished. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't confess that to you, but I am. Um, Week after week, often, I don't sense that there's anything happening in this meal, but I can look back on my life over the last you know, 10 or 12 years as I have participated in weekly celebration of the Eucharist. And I see that, that something has been done in me. And, and much of it, I think, is attributed to this routine that we enter, gathering around the table by invitation of Christ himself to have our eyes opened to his presence in faith, As we feast on the bread of life, I believe Jesus is upholding us, sustaining us for the road that lies ahead. We eat and we drink, we partake together routinely to meet with our Lord, the bread of life, in fresh ways. So trying trying to bring this back to the series that we're in, I think in order for us as individuals and as a community to keep our 
principal goal as the, at the forefront of our minds. And that is wholeness in Christ, new life in Jesus and everything that entails. For us to move toward that goal, I think we must encounter Jesus. It's not just about having correct thoughts. I think we are in desperate need of an encounter. We, uh, we encounter Jesus not only in this room, all over the place, in people um, and, and in places we come into contact with, but it all flows out of an encounter. What, whatever aspect of our purpose statement we want to focus on, whether it's the community piece, the mission piece, or what Austin talked about last week, discovering wholeness, I am more and more convinced that encounters with Jesus must be the animating feature of all of those endeavors. As we engage in our surrounding culture, that engagement must flow from a place of encounter. What, what our world needs most is not people who can make better arguments. Although that's not a bad thing. I think that's probably a good thing. But I don't think that's the most urgent need. I think the most urgent need is a people who have encountered Jesus and have been shaped, formed by that encounter. So week after week, as we gather around this table, we're going to in, in just a minute, week after week as we gather around this table, not by my invitation, not by the church's invitation, but by the invitation of Jesus himself, we are plunged into this ancient story. Whether we feel like it or not, and maybe you're not feeling like it, and that's fine. We're plunged into that story week after week. And as we meet with Jesus, whether we're recognizing what's happening or not, I believe Jesus is embracing us, nourishing us, strengthening us, and changing us. So I invite you to join me at this table, the table of our Lord, to encounter Jesus, to have your eyes opened to the presence of Christ that is never departing. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. But I pray, this is a prayer for me, it's a prayer that I have for you as well, that as we gather around the table, that our eyes might be opened to the presence of Christ in fresh ways. We'll stop there. I, I want to invite you to stand. I should stop talking and let's just gather around the table. That's what, that's what we're here to do. So I'm going to say a prayer for us, Steve, if you want to join me as we um, gather around the table. I want to say a prayer, and, th and then I'll invite you. If, if you're new or visiting, uh, we invite you to join us. Um, this is not our table. Um, this is the, the table of our Lord. And, and really, I think all that, that is needed to come to this table is a desire to meet with Jesus. If you have that desire, we invite you to join us. We'll make two